75 basis points from the Bank of England, but Andrew Bailey says it's not the new norm and they are seeing the future through a very different lens to the Fed, so maybe less hikes, although there is a scenario they paint where rates do keep rising and the economy goes into a two-year recession with budget cuts likely from the new version of the same old government. Brits could be having a tough time of it, couldn't they, this winter? Meanwhile, uh, we look at the Fed one day on. How are the markets responding and what to expect from non-farm payrolls tonight and the statement of monetary policy from the RBA? as well. What to look for in that? It's Friday, the 4th of November, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, a big rise in the US dollar is at 1.4%, almost to 1129 on the DXY index. It briefly got up to 114.7 in mid-October. We're not too far from that now. And that was the strongest the US dollar had been since 2002. So we're sort of back in that ballpark. Against that, the Aussie dollar is down 0.8%, just under 63 US cents now. The euro down 0.7% and hot on the heels of the Bank of England. Sterling down 2% this morning. 10-year guild yields are up 11 basis points. Same for German bunds, though, whereas 10-year treasuries are only three basis points higher. Aussie 10 years were up 11 basis points yesterday to 3.92% and not really moved too much on futures overnight. With oil, WTI down 2%, Brent down 1.5%, down to 94.70 a barrel. But it's US stocks where the action is. They continue to fall at close. The Nasdaq down 1.7%, 1.1% lower for the S&P 500 and 1.5% fall in the Dow. The Nasdaq has fallen 3.7% in the last month, 34% in the last year. And stocks down in Europe too, almost 1% down for the DAX at close. But the FTSE 100 has climbed 0.6%. Why is that? It's a bit curious given the uh, the Bank of England uh, pushed rates up and warned of prolonged recession but they were exceedingly dovish too, it's fair to say. So let's talk about that with NAB's Ken Compton in Sydney. So yeah, 75 basis point hike, but maybe not too much more. That seems to be the message. That's why we've seen equities uh, bounce a little, presumably. Uh, uh, Although, you know, the reason, a prolonged recession, not particularly good. But I mean, Andrew Bailey was fairly clear, wasn't he, in his language today? Yeah, good morning, Phil. Certainly, sort of trying to tread that uh, you know that that narrow path that the central bankers are, are keen to try and reiterate in, in their communication of late. I think um, you know the BOE outlined two different scenarios in their forecasts. Obviously, you know the, the, the seventy-five <laughs> point two hike, rapidly different scenarios. Well, yeah, <laughs> e- exactly. And I think sort of trying to send a signal at, at, at either end, and I guess you know, set a bit, bit of boundary on market expectations. Admittedly, very broad boundaries. I mean, those two scenarios they outlined were, you know, if. Uh, cash rate evolved in lines of market pricing at the time they do in their forecast, which was to get up to a, a peak of five and a quarter, so another 200 plus basis points from here. Yeah, in which case they saw, I think, like a 300% contraction in GDP and CPI inflation down to zero in three years. So obviously, you know. That's, so that's when people start sending their kids out to sweep the chimneys and uh, everyone lives off berries and nettle soup for, for the next two years. That's the, that's the not happy scenario, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, but the other one was a lot better. Yeah, but where is it? The other scenario where they keep the cash rate unchanged where it is now, you still have inflation, I think, bumping along, um, you know, above the target for, for much longer, but with, um, but with lower, a, lo- a lower hit to GDP. And I think obviously the message from the BOE there being that market pricing is significantly over-egged at that, at that 5%. I mean, in fact, it's down it's from that time anyway. Uh, yet, mm. um, obviously still trying to signal that they are hawkish and that they will have a bias to continue to, to keep tightening in the meantime. And, you know, if you sort of compare it to the Fed's outcome yesterday, you know, sort of similar overall message in the sense that, 
setting setting expectations that rates continue to head higher, but um, but obviously putting a bit more of a cap on it than the than the Fed did. And I think also somewhat interesting was the. Uh, the fact that the FOMC's decision yesterday was unanimous, whereas with the BOE overnight there was two dissenters uh, from mm. the uh, from the seventy five point move, and in fact uh, one of the members was actually voting for for a twenty five point move. So the distribution is yeah. clearly a little bit more to the dovish side on yeah. the um, on the BOE than the Fed. Yeah, I'm, you know the fact that they've got one scenario as well, which is that we don't move from where we are right now as well. And yeah, that overt language, Andrew Bailey said, based on where we stand today, we think rates will have to go up by less. Than currently priced in financial markets, so uh, you can't you can't spell it out more than that, can you? So that's hence the word dovish is being used a bit. But I mean, interestingly though, if you look at where bond yields actually landed over the course of the night, as you mentioned before, you know you've got um, yeah, gilt yields are up twelve basis points uh, for for ten years. Even, even the front end is up five. So terminal pricing has come down a little bit, but I guess um, you know one of the factors there in, in terms of front end yields, right? That those two year yields rising a little bit is arguably that you know if there's not going to be an acute crunch. In terms of getting the cash rate to you know five odd percent, then you can expect to be held holding at those slightly elevated levels a little longer. So you're starting to see that coming in and a, and a steeper curve, although arguably the you know the sort of more global factors behind high yields and the overhang from the Fed were, were a bit of a factor there as well. I'm still curious on this idea. These two scenarios they seem so far apart from each other. One which is yeah we're going to have to go to five and a quarter. And two years of recession, the other one, well, we've more or less done the work. Begs the question, do they actually have a clue where we're heading? Well, I think that you know, the BOE's always been much more cautious on the on, on on the economic outlook than other banks. I mean, you know, they did start hiking you know, earlier mm. than the FOMC did, but have always had a, a much more sanguine medium-term outlook. And I think, you know, the, the, the energy price mm. challenges facing, you know, Europe, Europe, Europe and the UK are more acute than the US. And I think just as you've seen, you know, the RBA here begin to adjust their rhetoric you know wouldn't the, the RBA has not pivoted I'd strongly suggest that's not the case but they have certainly taken a more balanced approach and begun to emphasize that um, that the cash rate um, policies can can and will bite at, at some point and they want to be you know slowing down in, in anticipation of that and those the, the BOE is I guess feeling the same obviously now that they do, especially now that they don't have uh, a massive fiscal impetus. Uh, you know, coming at them and, and undoing some of their work, or at least we don't think they will. We have, obviously haven't actually got that mini budget yet, but I guess we can assume that political um, attitudes may have evolved over yeah. the past month after after a few different things have happened over there. Yeah, well, and that is interesting, isn't it? Because that wasn't, I mean, they said that wasn't factored into into the decision. Uh, and, uh, you know, that uh, that might add to the recession problems if they if we find that, you know, that budget is uh, much less spending, much higher taxes, less money swilling around the economy. Anyway, we'll see, we'll see what that brings us. Uh, Christine Lagarde, uh, meanwhile, in Europe, uh, has said that they, you know, they hope they're going to avoid a recession, but they will need to raise rates. So she was sounding a little bit more hawkish. A shallow recession wouldn't be enough uh, to slow things down is basically what she's saying so uh, yeah sounding a bit more hawkish certainly not as dovish if that is what the Bank of England was being <laughs> today I'm still not sure whether they were dovish or not but anyway uh, a little bit more hawkish on the ECB side anyway balanced as, as I like to call the, the, the evolution of, of rhetoric I mean you know <laughs> central banks are they're trying to acknowledge the obvious that as you raise rates as you raise rates, by definition, you get closer to the terminal, but they don't want markets, you know, dramatically yeah. shortcutting that terminal process. And I mean, you know, sort of looping back yeah. to, you know, Fed Chair Powell yesterday, I think he managed to successfully, you know, avoid, you know, what happened in July when the, 
you know, the, 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 they put in a 75 point hike and the statement was taken as dovish and you ended up with 10 year treasury yields at you know two and a half percent equities taking off real mm. yields falling break evens rising um, you know they've managed to signal that they are slowing down yet um, you know haven't um, haven't sort of given the market free reign to you know to no. To, to unprice those short-term hikes. So. Well, no, I mean, look at look at the reaction from it. I mean, you know, the fourth day in a row that uh, the US equity market is just a sea of red. Um, we've seen uh, some losses have been paired, but it's still, it's still well down. Bond yields still rising. Two-year Treasury yields up uh, over 4.7%. I think that is actually the highest it's been since... Going back to 2007, isn't that? I might be wrong on that, but certainly it's the you know it's well up there. Yeah, and we had ten-year yields um, up up above 4.2% again briefly early in the evening. Mm. Um, you know that was tempered by the data that started to come in from that point. I mean, particularly the the soft ISM print did get a bit of attention. Uh, that came in at 54.4. So I mean, still solidly yep. in expansive territory in outright terms, but a bigger decline than expected. And some of the details starting to get a bit of focus, like the um, you know the the employment index that. The, that's in there that was back below 50 50 um although i mean a lot of as a lot of commentators have pointed out that was below 50 for the for the bulk of the first half of the year and that's hardly um been a horrible omen for u.s labor force growth so Mm. far and obviously we're going to get a the the most important read of that is going to be tonight yeah and what direction is that going to go because we had those adp numbers yesterday and gavin was right you know well it's it's difficult to know whether we can trust those numbers because that new methodology is still just a few months old but 239,000 uh, new jobs against 195 expected. And then overnight, the weekly jobless claims, fewer claims. So more people working or not wanting to work. So another sign of re- resilient employment. So, you know, if you put all the pieces together, it would seem to suggest resilience is going to shine through in non-farm payrolls tonight. But we could be surprised, couldn't we? Well, I mean, and, and actually we're seeing Wall Street, the Wall Street Journal reporting that people like Amazon, for example, is starting to lay people off. So... Maybe it is starting to turn. Yeah, certainly a lot of the anecdotes are pointing that way. You're seeing yeah, Amazon. I see a few other mm. tech names in, 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 you know, specifically highlighted as an, as announcing broad layoffs. I mean, Lyft, for example. There's a few other headlines out there about that, and even across financial services as well. I mean, consensus for tonight is settled at about plus two hundred, so that is down from the plus two sixty we got last month for um, yeah for, for headline growth. I mean, the unemployment rate is actually expected to tick up point one. Uh, yeah, three point six. But, but of course, you know, in a historical context, that's still in a that's still a, a sort of healthily low unemployment rate. So, um, and, and the other thing, obviously, that the Fed is is keen to keep an eye on is where incomes where income is going. You know, average hourly earnings. You know, are expected to stay sort of yeah. consistent with last month's pace of 0.3. That brings the year on year rate down below five percent. I think four point seven percent is where that one nets out. So that that's going to be something they they're, they're keen to watch. But um, there's certainly um, you know sort of not much expectation for sort of a calamitous payrolls print tonight, but um, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a volatile number, so mm. very, uh, very important to watch. Yeah, apparently Elon Musk is getting rid of half of the uh, the Twitter workforce, um, so uh, that's uh, I don't, maybe I, you know frugal times. Maybe we're going to go back to 140 characters as well. That, that is how difficult the the future could be when we've actually got to condense our tweets to half the length that we do these days. Uh, that's living frugally. And if you are going to stay there, you have to come to the office. You have to come to the office. Too, yeah, so. it's just getting out of control, isn't it? Uh, look, the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Let's look at balance of trade very quickly. Uh, the uh, With the US balance of trade, a slightly bigger deficit, a mere $73.3 billion for September from 65.7 the month before. Uh, the gap widening because imports are up and exports down. So 
That is interesting, isn't it? Because the German balance of trade, we saw imports really fall away. We've seen the same thing with Australia's balance of trade yesterday as well. Imports starting to slow, not so in the US. So that sort of uh, suggests continued consumption, doesn't it? Whereas maybe in other parts of the world, it's starting to ease off. That's why we're importing less. I think that's a reasonable read on it. Um, certainly, the, the, the headline number here yesterday did show that um, the surplus was was higher, with you know, iron ore and LNG being being key parts of that uh, that shift higher in the trade balance here. But I guess you know the the, the comforting point for for, for for the RBA at least was yeah uh, potentially a bit of a dip in um, yeah in consumption goods imports. So that is that is a positive. And yeah, it is interesting to see that the US is kind of still continuing to buck. That trend, and I guess that's why you're seeing the one of the reasons you're seeing the Fed out there as being, um, yeah, sort of the one of the more hawkish central banks out there, and still still the most aggressive. And of course, you know, part of the irony is that yeah, you know, as they as they maintain that path, particularly in a relative sense, then um, you know that that dollar strength that we saw overnight is you know is that keeps going up. You know, there's, there's still sort of further momentum behind that, which. Yeah. Um, which obviously helps you helps you afford these uh, consumer goods. <laughs> so it's a bit bit of a loop there. Yeah, that's right. Well, the rest of the rest of us just have to make do without. Uh, so the uh, statement of monetary policy from the RBA today. What will we get from that uh, after that uh, twenty five basis point rise on on Tuesday? And then you know the reaction to that. We saw that uh, big monthly fall in mortgages as well, didn't we? So. What are we going to get out of that that we haven't heard already? Well, yeah, we do get a, a bit, a bit of a sneak preview of most of the key numbers in the monetary, sorry, in the post-meeting statement. So we do know that they're talking mm. about a, um, you know, having a, a, a Q4 CPI figure, you know, sort of up around eight percent. I mean, our sort of economics team's take on that was interesting. We we didn't think it didn't seem that um, that that print was probably going to be as high as as we're expecting. But by the same token, you know they're they're also lifting the the back end of the inflation forecast profile as well. So it'll be interesting to sort of see that the details on where that where that's going to net out as to um you know there was talk in there that we'd still have the. Uh, CPI running, you know, above target by the end of 2024. So, um, yeah, that's going to be a bit of a, a bit of a test for for market pricing of, of of the RBA only getting to you know four percent. Now, admittedly, that that four percent that's priced at the moment is still above where NAB Economics thinks that the RBA is going to need to get to. But but you know, but if you've got official forecasts out there saying the RBA doesn't expect inflation to, to come down for a couple of years, then that that may start to stretch the the credibility of. Um, in the market's mind of, um, of of this softening stance. Now, I, I think in the, in the short term, mm. yeah, it's pretty clear the RBA is going to be you know, sort of moving in 25-point steps, but you may start to see a bit of pressure in that back end of the curve and, and see a bit more... Bit more rate, bit more rate hikes priced into the back end. Effectively, you know that sort of higher for longer scenario. I think is you know, is, is, mm. is, is is the greatest risk to, to market pricing of the RBA at the moment. Well, they can do it more often, of course, can't they? So they can get away with that. Uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens uh, later on today. Uh, good to talk. Catch you again very soon. Nice to have you on. Catch you next time. Cheers. Thank you, Phil. That's Ken. And for NAB, I'm Phil Dobby. Back again after the weekend. I'll catch you on Monday morning. Thanks for listening.